Hello and welcome to Billiken Battle. I am your host Carter Chapley and today we have Daniel Frank on of A10 Talk. He's going to get us prepared for GW, the Colonials, come to Chaffetz Arena to take on the Billikens who are coming off of a big win over the UMass Minutemen to avenge their heartbreaking loss this weekend in the doubleheader. They go one and one against UMass, which it's not the end of the world. The sky is not falling. It's very disappointing, but you come back out and you show a really good performance on your home court, and now you get another opportunity to win another home game. GW is, like many teams in the bottom of the Atlantic 10, having a bit of a renaissance this year. They're two and three in conference play and looking to battle their way out of the pillow fight. This team has shown a lot of spark after a really disappointing non-conference season, but let's let Daniel explain all that. So here is Daniel Frank of Atlantic 10 Talk. We now welcome on to Billiken Babble, our newest friend, Daniel Frank of A10 Talk. Daniel, how are you today? I'm doing great. Happy to be here. Ready to talk some A10 hoops, GW hoops, everything. Daniel covers GW hoops. He covers everything in the DMV for us in the Atlantic 10. Daniel, tell us about your coverage and what you're doing out there for us. Yeah, for sure. I've been, I'm probably the guy that's been at A10 Talk the longest, I think, at this point, besides Matt, who's the the, the OG guy. Um, I started doing this back in 2015, writing for GW or writing about GW, I should say. And now I do George Mason as well. I'm a student at George Mason, so I'm a senior. I've been basically following GW basketball since I was born. I was, I like to say I was born in September and I started to go into games in November and 22 years later, here we are. So I breathe, eat and sleep GW basketball. I'm with them with the ups and with them with the downs and still here now. So <laughs> you're as knowledgeable on the history of GW as I think there is up for anyone that we know right now. So <laughs> tell us what's been going on there in Foggy Bottom. It's, it's an interesting question. If you'd asked me about a week ago, I probably would have given you some doom and gloom answer. And I'm still kind of halfway there, but it's, it's been a weird week, a weird season for GW. They started off really poorly. Their overall record still isn't great. They're six and eleven. I think if you looked at that at the standings with no context, you'd say, well, you know, that should be a win. But I think what GW showed in the last week is some fight that I have not seen from a and Christian coach GW team in the three years he's been at GW. They've come back with an impressive comeback win at home against G- uh, George Mason, I should say, on MLK Day. Followed that up with a weird loss to St. Joe's on the road where. They just didn't have a good night and then fall that up with a road win at Rhode Island where they had not won previously in like five, six years, I want to say. Now, there's there's questions of, of sorts for both Rhode Island and Mason and how, you know, are they for real? Are they pretenders? Where do they where do they fall in the hierarchy of this league? And of course, St. Joe is to make things more complicated, just gave Mason a heck of a game on Monday night of this week, but ultimately lost. So some weird little eight ten tie-ins there. Um, but I'll be honest with you, beginning of conference play, I was not convinced GW was going to get a win. And here they are at two and three, knocking on the door. Who knows what they're going to do? It's anyone's guess what's at this point. So can you give us any insight as to who might have led that charge into getting those two wins? What has turned around for this program since the end of non-conference to today? You know, it's weird to say it's addition by subtraction, and yet GW... Their big three has basically been reduced to their big two, if you will. Their big three being Joe Bamazil, James Bishop, and Ricky Lindo Jr. James Bishop was the leading scorer in the Atlantic 10 one year ago. Having a bit of an offseason this year, he's still the guy oftentimes for GW, but certainly not always the case. Ricky Lindo Jr. has been out since the beginning of conference play with 
an injury. Ironically, it's not COVID. It's an old fashioned injury. So basically GW has been playing a little bit of a different lineup. It's given Brayon Freeman some more opportunities and he's really shined. I think as one of the top freshmen in the Atlantic 10 that does not go to Dayton. And it's just been interesting to see how without Ricky Lindo Jr. GW has played more team ball. It's been one of my biggest complaints about this team is they have not played as a unit. They play as oftentimes just three or four individuals on the floor and it's there's not a whole lot of passing going on there's not a whole lot of plays it's just i'm going to pull up and shoot and see what happens and with this bizarre mixed lineup they've been having to roll with it somehow worked and a large part of it too i think hunter dean isn't quite getting the credit he deserves in a 10 circles he was really instrumental in the comeback they had against george mason really had a great night against Rhode Island, had some blocks, had some defensive plays that I have not seen from him since that Maryland game back in November when GW almost beat Maryland. It's been a weird lineup, but it's kind of working right now. So I'm not sure what the status is going to be on Ricky Lindo for this game Wednesday night at SLU. But honestly, maybe it's better if he doesn't play. I don't mean to hate on the guy, but this lineup's working. And sometimes you just have to ride the hot hand can you tell us a little bit more about this big two they have going on right now without Lindo in the lineup? Absolutely. Yeah. It's, it's a basically GW is a hodgepodge of transfers this season and, and last season as well, for that matter. James Bishop is a transfer in from LSU and Ricky Lindo is a transfer from Maryland. Joe Bamisil is a guy from Virginia tech. They all kind of have individual stories, but specifically with the two that we're talking about here, James Bishop was a guy that did not really fit into, into LSU system. Not the most efficient guy, and I think anyone that's watched GW over the last year and a half will, will agree with me that he is not the most efficient scorer. He is a volume scorer, though. So he might take 20 shots to get to 10 points, but he's going to get his points. That doesn't necessarily fly at a Power 5 school, especially when guys are, are vying for minutes in the lineup when there's a lot of talent. You can kind of get away with it a little bit more on a struggling GW team. But even more so, what's impressive is Joe Bamazel was really a question. I think he averaged like five points a game last year with Virginia Tech was someone I really just didn't know what we were getting out of him when he first got to GW. And and since his arrival, I mean, Joe Bambazil has been nothing but Mr. Personality. I mean, you know, he was dunking all over Maryland, flexing on their fans, getting into it with them. I mean, he's been on SportsCenter a handful of times this season. He had that ferocious dunk over Malik Henry on MLK day against Mason. That was the number two play of the day on sports center. I mean, Joe Bamazo has basically been that, or the villain figure that, you know, has lit a spark a little bit under this roster too. And he, he knows how to get to the rim. He had that basically the game winning play against Mason where he just got downhill, got to the rim and, you know, got a bucket, won the game. And he's really been instrumental as well. I like to ask this amongst everyone we have on Billick and Babble. When GW is playing ideal GW basketball, what does that look like? I would say that's shooting above 40% and ideally holding the opponent to about 60 points, 55, 60 points a game, I think. GW runs a weird mix of pushing pace and slow down ball. And I think they're honestly at their best when they pick up the pace a little bit and when they really get downhill. I think that could benefit Sluice if GW kind of gets out of a rhythm that could definitely play into Sluice hands. But for GW, really, if they're playing team ball and if guys are hitting jumps, if James Bishop is hitting his mid-range, Joe Bamsell's getting to the rim. He's getting some dunks, getting the energy in the team. Hunter Dean's getting some rebounds. That's GW's recipe for success right now. We're here with Daniel Frank of A10 Talk. He's given us everything we need to know about GW hoops. Daniel, it seemed like at the beginning of the season that perhaps head coach Jamie and Christian 
might have been on the hot seat. It might not have been his year. It might have been time for a change with the program. How much of that has changed from the beginning of the year now with some more recent success? It's really tough to say. I mean, I've not been quiet with my criticism of Jamie and Christian, even this season. I mean, I, I was ready to have him fired after last season. I was ready to extend him after the the you know the Maryland game. And then they had the massive nosedive on the California road trip where they lost embarrassingly at a, what Cal State Fullerton and UC San Diego, I think it was. I don't think that he's off the hot seat entirely. I think the biggest thing that's going to be challenging to get him fired is obviously, yes, if they keep winning, obviously. But beyond that, I think both last season and this season have really been marked by extended COVID pauses for GW and some extenuating circumstances that haven't that not every team in the nation's had to deal with. Um, last season, GW played 10 total A-10 games, I believe it was. They played by far the fewest of any team in the Atlantic 10 Conference on the men's side. And again, this season, GW is not as far behind as they had been. Frankly, it's Mason, ironically, this year, who's, who's way behind in games played. But they're having to deal with, once again, no fans in the arena. Forms the only other school in the A-10 doing that. You know, there, there's some excuses. If you're looking to find excuses for him, there are they are there. That said, I don't think he's entirely off the hot seat. 6-11 and 11 is not exactly what GW fans expect from this level of this program. But it is encouraging to finally see some fight from this team when at multiple points this season alone, it looked like they had quit on their coach. So speaking of that, what would a successful end of the season look like? What is a goal this team reasonably could set that would look like success for this program moving forward? From a purely selfish standpoint, I really just want GW to avoid the pillow fight, as we affectionately called in, in A-10 circles, which is seeds 11 through 14, you have to play on Wednesday at the Atlantic 10 tournament. In my entire life, if you can believe it, GW up until the Mojo years, Maurice Joseph, had never played in any playing game or finished below 10. And then all of a sudden, once Mike Lonergan left after Mojo's first year, GW has been nothing but a playing game team. They have been basically somewhere between 11th and 12th, 13th. Luckily, they've not been 14th yet. And LaSalle is doing their darndest to help them out right now. And so is UMass affectionately. But I, I, I just think that would be something that they could build on. If they can get a 10 seed, even a nine seed, that's probably a bit of a reach for this group, but just something that is respectable, something that they don't feel the need to hang their heads on. And more than anything else, I think the biggest thing is if Brayon Freeman sticks around for at least one more year at GW, because he is, as I said before, one of the most talented freshmen in the conference, especially one that doesn't play for Dayton, because they all seem to be freshmen there that are incredibly talented. And GW has really struggled retaining their talent as of late. I mean, it's hard to blame a guy like Jamison Battle, who's gone on to have such success at Minnesota. And But basically, I mean, GW's really struggled to retain their talent. And if Brayon Freeman can stick around and really be a foundation for the future of GW basketball, I think that would be a win in and of itself of this season. It feels like there are a lot of programs in the Atlantic 10's bottom half that are starting to figure things out. Thank you, Daniel, for helping us out in understanding this one. Can you tell us where we can find some of your work and how we can support the things you do? Absolutely. You can find me on Twitter at N182V3Y4. It's a crazy at, I know, but it's had it for this long. It was my email in middle school and I'm still rocking with it. It's basically Navy1234. I thought I was just beating the system. So that I do that. You can find me on A10 Talk. You can find me on GMU Giant Killer as well, doing both men's and women's basketball coverage. And I'm on the A10 Talk podcast as well and bopping around other spots of A10 circles. Thank you so much for helping us out today, Daniel. Thank you for having me.
Thank you again to Daniel Frank of Atlantic 10 Talk for his time and giving us that preview of the George Washington Colonials. I had a great time chatting with Daniel. He's a really cool kid, and I'm looking forward to meeting him when we go to D.C. for the Atlantic 10 Tournament, and it's going to be right in his backyard, so he's going to give us an opportunity to show us around his home city. This is a important game for the Billikens to keep their momentum going. This is another game where the Billikens are going to out-talent the roster that the Colonials have. Jamie and Christian is got a more talented roster than he has in the past, but it's definitely not as deep as the Billikens. And so this is a game where if Ricky Lindo doesn't play, and at this point, per John Rothstein, he is a game-time decision, this is a game where I'm going to look to Francis Socorro and Martin Linson and Lucina Traore, to a lesser extent, to really assert their dominance as a physical presence in the paint and at the center position. But I'm also going to look for guys like Fred Thatch and Jordan Nesbitt to continue to do their thing. I think guys on the perimeter or wing players are going to have a little bit of harder time, like Gibson Jimerson. But at this point, I think he's the kind of guy who can have an impact no matter what. But for guys like Fred and Jordan to be able to make an impact, they're guys who have strength and can go to the paint and battle down low. Terrence is another guy like that. I shouldn't exclude him from that narrative. But those are guys who I think can really make an impact in this game. So I know in practice this week, the Billikens have been focusing a lot on defensive identity, working as a team, fundamentals, getting back to what they believe in in terms of their core beliefs on defense. So I'm looking for a really defensively sound game. I think if we get that, it's going to be a blowout. I'm hoping that this is the start of a turnaround for this team in terms of their fundamental success. So thank you again to Daniel. I'm looking forward to this one tonight. Chaffetz Arena, Wednesday night, game against the George Washington Colonials should be a good win for the Billikens. You can check out the Twitter spaces after for the post game. Call in, say hello. I want to hear what you have to think. I like to talk to you folks out there. But I have been Carter Chapley. This has been Bill and Babble for Scoops with Danny Mac. Be good to each other and roll bills. Roll bills.